Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to the Pelvic Health Podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, It's Lori Forner here. I had the best conversation just now with one Dr. Holly Herman. If you don't know who she is, I will give you her bio in just a minute. Today's episode, we are talking about our role as physiotherapists and other healthcare providers, but mainly physios, in treating the transgender community, especially those suffering with pelvic floor dysfunctions or other issues surrounding the pelvis, the common surgeries, the not so common surgeries that people in the transgender community community might undertake and the effect on the emotional and physical well-being of our patients. I hope that you find this episode just as informative as I did. Uh, Holly is extremely lovely and, and fun to talk to and just a wealth of knowledge. If you aren't familiar with who she is, she has been a physical therapist for more than 45 years. In addition to maintaining a full-time practice, private practice. She lectures and presents courses worldwide on pelvic floor women and men's health, pregnancy and postpartum, orthopedics, geriatrics, and sexual medicine. Now I'm reading this from her website, Holly Herman. Um, hollyhermancom.wordpress.com. I'll double check that for you. The links will be in the show notes. She's one of two physical therapists in the world certified as a sexuality counselor by the American Association for Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, which is a sect, and one of four physical therapists in the world certified as a women's health sexuality fellow by the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. She received her doctorate from the MGH Institute of Allied Health and her MS and BS from Boston University. She co-founded Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute in 2005. Although she's no longer associated with the institute, she brings her own courses all over the world. I missed her, just missed her last year in Australia. She came to a few places. If anybody is in Australia and they have the ability to bring people from overseas, please consider bringing her so that I could see her again. She is the author of numerous peer-reviewed articles, books, chapters, and is the co-author of the popular book, How to Raise Children Without Breaking Your Back, updated and available in the spring of 2018. She's been a full-time faculty member of the Northeastern University Physical Therapy Department, clinical instructor of the Boston University Physical Therapy Clinic, part-time instructor at Simmons College, guest lecturer at other colleges, universities, and hospitals. She serves on the boards of many foundations that promote women's and men's health. She's an article reviewer for the Journal of Sexual Medicine, Urologic Nursing, and the JOWHPT. Without rambling on, I give you Dr. Holly Herman. Even though everybody should know who you are and your background, I would still love for you to tell me, because I've read about your background, but I still don't know a lot or enough, I think. So I would love for you to 
talk a little bit about your background and then how you got into focusing on people in the transgender community, which is what I really wanted to, to focus on today. So thank you for coming. Thank you very much for having me and also for having this topic. It is growing and really physical therapy can be such a integral part of an interdisciplinary team that can really make a difference. And I go and I speak to surgeons, I speak to general practitioners, they have no idea what we can do, none. And so therefore the idea of having you use your format and your podcast and your famousness in order to talk about this topic, thank you. No, thank well, you. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. So yeah, so how did you get into this area? Take me back. Um, yes, well, uh, I was working at a elder care facility in Boston, and people weren't going home. So I said to the my boss, I'm, I'm going to burn out. And so she said, you know, there was a, a pediatric program. So I went back to school. I learned about pediatrics. Half my day was with two-month-olds and 92-year-olds. And then when I was working with the kids, I would say to the mothers, how are you? And every one of them burst out crying and said, nobody has ever asked. Nobody, I'm leaking urine. I can't have sex. My shoes don't fit. I'm having pain. And I thought, this is who I want to work with. So I started working with uh, postpartum women, had a facility where we had 17 women working there, all different uh, interdisciplinary aspects. And then from there, it got into pelvic pain. It got into urinary incontinence. So there were 400 nurses and me. They're all talking about medication. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you just work on the muscles, right? I mean, change it. And so from there... It went into postpartum, it went into men, it went into all different aspects of uh, orthopedic care and also bowel, bladder, and sexual function. And because I was working in the pelvis, I went and became a sexual counselor and became certified. And from there, really saw that the LGBTQAI community is just never addressed. So I really wanted to make it so that people, uh, particularly physical therapists, had the knowledge. Because in 2018, there was one facility in Boston that was doing surgeries. Now there are six. Just in Boston? Just in Boston. Oh, wow. At Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, They did 100 vaginoplasties, and we'll talk about that in a moment, in 10 years. And now they own eight facilities, and they are doing 30 different affirming a month. So, sorry, 30 a month. So we really, uh, 30 a month. So we really are needed. We're needed uh, everywhere. Um, and practically everybody knows somebody who's transgender or who is in some way gender non-conforming, non-binary. And binary means either male or female. And so there are 50 different ways to describe who you are. 
Yeah. Um, And so I guess a big part of what I wanted to get into, like you said, we'll talk about some of the common surgeries and really how common surgery would be within that community. Um, But our role is physios and there's other healthcare professionals that listen too. So there's doctors, fitness professionals. Today we'll focus on physio, but knowing that they're, you know, they're listening. Um, But knowing what our role is in treating um, people in the transgender community that are suffering mainly any issues around the pelvis, but also with pelvic floor disorders, why do we why do we have to kind of look at this community kind of as their as a separate population? What are some concerns that we need to take into account when we're even just talking about the community? The literature says that most people know that they are in the wrong body by the time they're five years old. For many others, it's really later on. And so what we want to do is be able to capture people throughout their lifespan who are making a change and really feel that they want to do it. Um, Caitlyn Jenner, um, uh, she uh, waited till she was 65 years old in order to make her change. And other people are now doing it when they are 16. So what happens is that things are changing and we really need to be an integral part of their healthcare team in order to help them. So, and so you will have um, women and men or non-binary patients come to see you that we'll get into the surgery, but that are not necessarily wanting surgery, but might have pain or issues with sex. What kind of pelvic floor or pelvis issues do you find that you are seeing and helping people with that um, may not lead to surgery or surgery is not in mind? Yes. Um, so what happens is that uh, for number of people, what they are, um, who they are involved with, and their partners, uh, it, it really can be for penetrative sex, non-penetrative sex, um, for their feelings about themselves, that their um, feeling of being a whole person um, and being accepted are is so important for us to really get our offices ready to see these patients. And by um, seeing, by getting ready, I mean actually having your forms so that they say, what is your medical uh, insurance name? What is the name that you go by? What are your pronouns? The same way that we as feminists uh, brought in Ms. Uh, numerous years ago, Um, Now it's pronouns that are really vital for our patients to uh, identify themselves with. And then also to make it so that we have friendly front staff desk people who, when we have a trans male, do not call them by their female name, but rather acknowledge who they are and who they feel that they are. Um, 
So can we talk about how common surgery is? Because I thought I had actually heard if and what the surgeries we are that we're that we're talking about that um, I thought I'd heard that they're actually relatively uncommon, that maybe 2% of people in the transgender community want to have a gender reaffirming surgery, or maybe that's an old statistic. Um, you are the expert. Please tell me, is it common? Well, yes, it is. I mean, now that there are six facilities in Boston in just two years, um, since Medicare and Medicaid are paying for that and that there is um, insurance that now is covering it, it's really going full steam ahead. And as I said, in um, uh, at Mount Sinai in New York, they were doing 110 years of vaginoplasties. Now they are doing multiple surgeries at eight of their facilities, and they expect to do 30 per month. Wow. Yep. So that's right. You did say that at the beginning. So what kind of sur- what are the most common surgeries that, um, that not just people are having, but that we might see as physiotherapists? Sure. So there is, uh, the most common is vaginoplasty. That means that we have a trans woman. So a male is becoming a female and uh, feels that they are um, really coming into their own and that they're affirming who they are. So with that, you're going to have um, an orchiectomy. So to take off the testicles, they are going to deglove the penis and to maintain the glands and the nerve supply to make it into a smaller um, clitoris. They are going to, in many cases, do a um, hysterectomy or a salpingo uh, oophorectomy, so taking out the fallopian tubes and also the ovaries, Um, and also doing larynx shaving to make the Adam's apple smaller, facial reconstruction in order to change the shape of the face, and also to do top surgeries so that they are going to augment the chest. We see all of those surgeries that go along with a vaginoplasty. What a vaginoplasty will do is to make a new canal between the um, prostate and the anorectal canal. So right at the perineal body, they will make a new canal, and that is going to be the vagina. So if we um, can, if we think about just a vaginoplasty sort of on its own, is what can we do kind of before somebody's about to have surgery that might help to prepare them, not just emotionally, but especially physically, um, in order to prepare for the surgery and then the rehabilitation that follows afterwards? Ah. Uh. Brilliant question. You are the Terry Gross of Australia. There you go. Um, It's a wonderful question. Um, So many people need to have, uh, there are many um, prerequisites. So to have the certain BMI, so for weight loss, to have them on an exercise program, if they are diabetic, to get them so that they are stable, to um, help them if they uh, have any pre-morbid conditions, um, such as any uh, cervical problems, thoracic problems, lumbar problems, pelvic problems, even uh, uh, foot 
issues um, and to make it so that we can really help patients um, with their failed load transfer, as Diane Lee would say and LJ. Um, Also, many patients have lived as a woman uh, when they go out, and so they are tucking their penis between their legs and often using uh, duct tape. They are also taking their testicles, putting them up inside the inguinal canals. And so they have a lot of urinary problems. They have problems with pain. They have problems with um, dysuria. They have problems with hesitation and urinating. Um, And so to help them with all of those aspects and that um, would, to, sorry, that would go for someone who isn't considering surgery, but they're still doing that um, when yeah. they go out. So then they then have urinary issues. So even like not looking at it from a pre-op point of view, somebody might come to see you with urinary issues and it's because they are, you know, just, just putting the puppy. anatomy in different positions that is then causing issues. So if someone wasn't going to have surgery, if we can take a step back just for a second, yeah. how would you how would you help somebody that's having urinary issues because of the positions that they're putting their anatomy in? Well, there are uh, there's something called a GAF, G A F F, and what it is is basically a mm, sort of support. It's a fabric support in order to be able to hold the testicles and the penis where you want it, rather than taping it between and stretching it between your buttocks. Because very often you can get urinary tract infections, you can get dysuria and blood in the, in the uh, urine because of the position that they use. So you, you would possibly have people use that before surgery as well, depending on how long they have to wait to have surgery as well? That's correct. Okay. Yes. And to make it so that they know that they should take care of that. Now, if we were going to have somebody who was going to become a trans male Mm -hmm. and have a phalloplasty, oftentimes what they are doing is binding their breasts. So they really are having problems with breathing. They are having problems with their pelvic floor because there's too much pressure that's coming from above and pressing down on the pelvic floor. They are not, um, uh, and they're wearing their uh, binders between 8 and 12 hours a day. So you need to do some thoracic mobilization. You need to teach them about breathing. You need to teach them about using their pelvic floor muscles and not having it bulge, not having prolapse, not having issues that we normally see when we see respiratory issues. So you want to address all of this before somebody decides to have surgery as well? Definitely. Definitely. And preoperatively, Joe Melios just did her uh, thesis, her PhD thesis on preoperative work with prostatectomy. And we know that for that surgery, that there's much better outcomes. So for all of our patients that are are going to have surgery or are going to live in a, a different gender or their affirming gender, that they're going to do something to their genitals. We have to teach them what to do. If if a if somebody is becoming trans woman, the do they leave the prostate? 
Yes. Okay. But with the hormones, what it does is shrink it so that it's really quite small when you're going to be doing your internal examination. You'll come right upon it. It's right there as soon as you enter into the new vaginal canal. And then you go past it and uh, help them with dilation. They need to do for a vaginoplasty, they need to dilate every single day. Otherwise, the penile inversion Hmm. will come, the tissue will come and stick together and they'll lose their canal. Yep. How, so how soon would you start something like that after surgery? So if somebody has surgery, you know, what happens kind of in the first month compared to a few months down the track? Yes. We're going to actually teach them how to do their dilation Hmm. three days after they have had their surgery. Um, and is there specific sizes or lengths that you start with that you get them to progress? I'm assuming you start shorter and smaller and gradually, or is it one size that you kind of keep the whole time? There is a standard for vaginal plasties that the vaginal canal is 15 centimeters. And so there are certain kinds of um, dilators that are made by the sole source company They are the only ones that make that particular kind of dilator. And it actually has dots on it, plus it also has an angle to it, and it's rigid. So that the patient is shown how to do the dilation. The surgeons actually do the dilation with the dilators in the surgery um, suite so that they know that they get to the third dot in terms of depth. Hmm. Um, and length and that's where the patient will start from and then they will work further and further from there. I just want to interrupt everyone for a quick minute. I really wanted to thank everyone who's been really supportive and listening and enjoying these podcasts. I also really want to thank the patrons who have supported the podcast through pledging and donations. I really appreciate any and all of your support. I know that there are so many other things that your money can go to. So anybody who has ever donated, if you have finished your pledging and support but are still listening thank you thank you thank you so so very much if you would like to pledge and support the podcast you can for as little as one us dollar a month you can cancel any time after that if there are weird exchange rates you can do a one-off donation of 25 dollars still access the patron only episodes that i put out as a thank you um, but you do need to make sure that you cancel that after you put that pledge in um, and i really hope that everybody's having a good start to 2020 and you continue to enjoy the episodes all year. So again, thank you so much everyone. So other than dilators and maybe desensitization, is there anything specific that needs to be addressed with pelvic floor muscles after having surgery? Oh, tremendous. What happens is that these surgeries take five to seven hours. And so if they have not move their legs um, during the operation, they can have femoral neuropathies, they can have ilioinguinal, iliohypogastric um, neuropathies because their legs have been in a bent position and flexed 
for so many hours. So my job as a interdisciplinary team member is to educate the surgeons that they need to change the leg positions during the surgery so that we don't get femoral neuropathies or other nerve impingements. Wow. How many doctors don't think about that? All of them. All of them. Honestly, uh, they don't. They really don't. They, they never think about it. They don't think about the fact that after an hour and a half, a nerve is demyelinated if it's up at a certain position, inflection, and also abduction, and that's the position that they have them in. So I went to WPATH and USPATH in order to talk to the surgeons, and I said, you have to move their legs. You have to make it part of the surgery so that you're not going to have patients who are going to have neuropathies afterwards. If, if they do have a neuropathy afterwards, because again, I, I mean, it's relatively newish surgeries and until more and more doctors work out that's something you need to do, um, how do you help people with that afterwards within that well, initial kind of acute period? You can use E-STEM. That's really very good and works really well. Um, you can make it so that you are going to teach them how not to develop a limp. Because once a person has a limp, it's so hard to get rid of um, and to help them to improve the blood supply so that they have uh, remyelinization. It's only one millimeter per month uh, that it grows, but still you can help them and um, uh, uh, make it so that they're not going to have uh, too many issues afterwards. Have you had any doctors that push back on suggesting that they need to do something different than what they're used to when they're doing surgery? Isn't just asking them to change leg positions? No. So no. having the conversation with your patient even pre-op and having them discuss it with their doctor might be helpful as well? Yes. Yeah. Everybody has something that's orthopedic preoperatively. Everybody has something so if you're going to do a chest surgery and they have a rotation in, that's going on in one of the rings and it's not stacked up, how is the surgery going to turn out as well as it could? So I really am so dedicated towards trying to get patients to understand what's going on, take care of pre-op issues so that they can go into the surgeries and have a much better outcome. Is there, so we've talked about a vaginoplasty and kind of what needs to be considered in that initial period of time. What about when the anatomy is being changed to, what did you call it in order to, was it a, uh, it, it was an a, F word. A phallo, yes, yes, a phalloplasty. It's yes. actually a PH. It's oh, sorry. But no, no problem. Honestly, I'm learning every single day, you know, yeah. from my patients also. And who was doing them? Uh, not very many people, but yeah. now they are. Yeah. So that is three different operations. And it can go on for three years that people are having their change um, and gender affirming um, so that the first aspect is that they are going to take the skin and also from the volar surface of the forearm and also the median nerve. So they cut very deeply into that. They make that into a phallus 
they attach it, the nerves, to the ilioinguinal, iliohypogastric, um, and the pudendal nerves, and basically make a phallus. But they still have a tube that they are urinating out of um, because um, the, it has to heal first before they can then put the urethra through the phallus. So How that's, do they make the urethra longer? Yes. Um, they make it so that it is a tube and that it's going to come out below the new phallus. Okay. But and sorry, so, the, the tube is made out of what? It is a tube. It's a, it's a, um, a, fa- a plastic tube, but then they roll it in some of the tissue that they took from the forearm. And so eventually the plastic's not left in the body. That's correct. Okay. Oh, wow. That's, yes, yes. And they're going to do that. They also have to put in testicular implants. Mm. They have to also make it so that once everything is assembled after two or three of the surgeries, that then they're going to have a, an erectile uh, penis so that they have to put in a pump. Uh, a um, pump in order to make it so that the um, reservoir is in the testicles and also in the abdomen and they have to pump it up in order to have a rigid phallus. So you said it takes three years or three surgeries? How long does it? Three surgeries. Oftentimes it takes a year for for each surgery to heal. Yeah. Um, in some places, uh, like Thailand and also many other places in the um, uh, Far East, that they can do things uh, much quicker, um, but people oftentimes have some problems. So that's what happens. Is there any long-term urinary issues after having that surgery that physio can help with or that we need to be aware of? Yes, I'm working with a patient right now who has a phalloplasty and also is having some issues with the fact that they're not able to urinate very well. And so what happened was that some of the adductor muscles got tight, um, which mm, are going to be uh, utilized in order to, to attach to the urethra. Um, And also what we're seeing is um, patients who have swelling and lymph problems. So lymph drainage, lots of stretching, lots of scar work, lots of um, help in order to teach people how to relax their muscles. So, I mean, because the homunculus still thinks that they have either a vagina or the homunculus still thinks that they have a penis that turned into a vagina. So we're seeing all different kinds of uh, ways that people are now changed in terms of their genitals, but nobody has showed them how to use their muscles. Hmm. Nobody has shown them how to position themselves for sex. Nobody has shown them how to position themselves in order to pee, standing up or sitting down. So we really have quite a lot that we can show people in terms of bowel, bladder, and sexual function. Well, because you're a sexual counselor as well, uh, does that limit what you are allowed to do with manual therapy? No. 
No, I don't bill as a sexual counselor. I am licensed as a physical therapist. But being being a sexual counselor, I feel so much more comfortable asking them what body part is matching up with another body part with your partners Hmm. or partner. What body part are you having issues with? What uh, can you tell me? Can you tell me anything that if I knew it, I could treat you better? Yeah. Yeah, which is a great way to put it. Yeah. That way people say, oh, yes, 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 I'm having this. I'm having hemorrhoids. I'm having anal fissures. I'm having, you know, all different kinds of pain. I'm having uh, burning when I have it. You can't just ask for pain. You have to be like a NyQuil commercial. You have to say, are you having burning, prickling, aching, soreness, numbness, tenderness, uh, pain? Here, 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 and here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so you find out more. Yeah. You you were saying about how your homunculus still thinks that you have the body part you had had originally. Does that ever change? We know the brain is plastic, but how much does that change? Do we know? Yes. I actually have uh, many patients who have vaginoplasty who just really had a, a, a new canal, but never were taught how to use their pelvic floor muscles, never thought to be able to release and then also lengthen the pelvic floor muscles. Everybody always thinks uh, about just strengthening, 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 and doing a concentric contraction rather than doing eccentric contraction or being able to make it so that you have the flexibility in your muscles to then generate enough strength and tension from a relaxed or a lengthened muscle to make it so that it can work better. I would assume that after any kind of traumatic surgery, more people would have increased tension and difficulty relaxing than... Totally. Overt weakness. Plus, plus, I mean, you know, they've been living uh, different lives. I mean, I know people who go to work as a male and then go out at night as a female, Um, who go out uh, to work as a female and go out at night as a male with uh, a packer so that they have a bulge in their pants or that they are, you know, in some way doing something to their genitals or binding their breasts or augmenting their breasts. So, yes. Yeah. So the more they think about pelvic floor function and relaxing and breathing and looking at their part, um, you know, their new anatomy, does, does all of that eventually allow the homunculus and the brain to have a new picture of what is now there? Or will they, will that always kind of be, you know, how much can we change? A lot. Everything. It really can. It can make it so that people are able to be orgasmic, that they are able with their new genitalia, that they are able to penetrate uh, their partner uh, with their new genitalia and have an orgasm. So, um, and be sad, even more important than just an orgasm is that they are really satisfied with their sexual experience, that they are satisfied with their presentation of who they are and that they feel whole. Hmm. Now, so we've talked about urinary function. We've talked about sexual function. How does 
either surgery or any of it affect bowel function or does it? Yes. Brilliant. Um, what happens is that many of these patients are, have been on different kinds of medications that they've been, you know, really very worried about their, how they are, uh, living their lives. And so constipation is an enormous problem. Also TMJ is an enormous problem. And so teaching them about fluids, about um, fiber, about how to relax their musculature when they're going to be going uh, to the bathroom, squat and drop, uh, making it so that they can really feel that they have good digestive um, uh, happenings and that they can utilize their bowels um, much more effectively. Sandy Gallagher, uh, from her a group that are doing vaginoplasties in uh, Oregon, found that patients who had bowel dysfunction and pelvic floor dysfunction were so much better off um, in terms of their functioning and less pain when they were seen preoperatively. Aunt Mar Marike uh, also saw that, and uh, Joe Melios, as I said. Hmm. Do we know um, any statistics on post-surgery and persistent pelvic pain? No, no, not at this point, because uh, not very many surgeons, they're sending them to their GPs, and their GPs are just giving them the dilators or sending them to the nurses that are part of the program. And so we really don't have very good statistics in terms of pain and, and uh, lack of functioning. So this is why I would really like it so that we're all taking the same information preoperatively mm. and that also postoperatively so that we can really show that physical therapy is an integral part of the healthcare team for all of these patients. So have you developed a an assessment or a course around this? I should know this, but I don't. Do you have no. a course specifically for this? Yes. Actually, there is a nurse that is uh, part of the interdisciplinary team and also three other physical therapists. Um, uh, Christy Siesla, uh, Christina Fitzgerald, and Alexandra um, Papale. Um, we taught uh, in Chicago, in New York, in San Francisco, and in Boston, and we were able to train over 200 physical therapists what to do with the transgender, non-binary, non-conforming population. From a pelvic health perspective or yeah. everywhere? Yeah, okay. from a pelvic health perspective, but we also covered the top surgeries and we also yeah. covered uh, facial reconstructions and cranial work. Yeah, and I mean, we didn't even discuss pre and post-op for top surgeries. So um, when you, well, what surgeries you were saying you would have breasts removed or breasts put on? Yes, augmented. Yeah. So it's called breast augmentation or it's breast uh, reconstruction yeah. and removal. And, okay. you know, I've had, I just have a patient right now who is eight years post breast removal because he is a trans male and he took up a new sport of uh, um, 
athletics with silks and found that he was having tremendous pain in his thorax. So nobody had ever taught him about uh, scar release and mm. also realigning the rings in order to make it so that he could have a better result. Wow. Is there any other resources that are good to point people towards other than your course, especially those who aren't in America? Yes. Um, there are uh, lots of people that are doing other things. There are other courseworks through um, uh, Tracy Shares group. Um, Heather is uh, doing a, a, a course that is really wonderful, and she's been doing it also with Sandy. Um, there are a number of other people who are doing it all throughout Europe um, and wanting to get people to know what, uh, how physical therapy can help. Are there any kind of big take-home messages that you want physios or other healthcare providers to know with regards to the transgender community or surgeries surrounding that? Yes, that there's not only vaginoplasties and phalloplasties, but there's something called a metoidioplasty, which is a urethral lengthening. So it's turning the person into a trans male yep. or affirming them into a trans male, but it's not um, doing quite as much uh, of a surgery. It doesn't take as many years, doesn't take as many surgeries, and they can pee standing up so that they feel really very satisfied hmm. uh, with a metoidioplasty. And then they can have te testicles uh, implanted or not. So there are so many variations. There are people who have had just their top surgery, just their facial, just their larynx hmm. shaved, and not even gone for bottom surgeries or the other ones that we um, see um, that are so common um, for people who um, really want to have um, gender uh, affirmation. Um, but um, we can really help a lot of people um, in order to, uh, through the LGBTQAI community, to show that we are friendly, that we are knowledgeable, that we are accepting, that we are inclusive, that we have forms that can they can fill out, that they can feel that they can be uh, open and honest. The statistics on people not telling from the LGBTQAI community is 50% that they do not tell their healthcare professionals hmm problems that they're having. So as physical therapists, we spend more time. We are hands-on. We are knowledgeable that what's going on in the cranium or going on in the foot can really affect what's going on in the pelvis. We are knowledgeable for really being able to help people with their breathing, with their preoperative, with intraoperative, with postoperative. So the take-home message is that nobody should be scared of working with anybody um, from these communities, that you can really help them, and they need help, hmm. uh, and that we are some of the best people because even sexual therapists are not allowed to look or touch yeah. people. 
and um, psychotherapists, the same thing. So here we are, we're licensed to touch, we have knowledge about uh, biomechanics, orthopedics is pelvic floor, yeah. pelvic floor is orthopedics, brain science is pelvic floor, everything is uh, all integrated, and that we should really go out and give lectures and really be willing and wonderful to um, these patients um, and be helpful. Thank you. Um, do you find that you have to also lecture the medical community as in they, you said some GPs will just give them dilators. So yeah. are they aware that physiotherapists can help a great deal in this area? I have to tell you that nobody knows what we do. Nobody. It should be on every bus. You know, every bus yeah. should say having uh, orgasmic problems, see a PT. Yeah. You know, having <laughs> having pelvic uh, issues, see a PT. Now, PT you know, in Australia is personal trainer, um, ah, so, but you mean so. a physical yeah. therapist, physio? Yes. yes, physio. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and also um, that uh, we should be uniting all of the healthcare uh, professions to really come together hmm. uh, to help this population. There are 50 different ways to uh, express your gender on Facebook, on Google. So everybody is trying to find their way. And to make it so that you are lecturing anybody that you can find in the healthcare community about how physical therapy can help this population um, of lesbians, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, asexual, who are maybe thinking about being mm -hmm. sexual um, and want to learn about what to do, and intersex. Uh, we are the healthcare profession that really can tie everybody together. Yeah, we almost need to change the name from physical therapy because it's not just physical. There's so much of the psychological and emotional side that we address, but, um, you know, again, not just in a, in a physical way. So sometimes I think the name throws us. That's why I like physiotherapy, just because it's not, I, it doesn't I sound purely it. physical. Right, right, right. You know, mo almost every patient who has come into my office has just breathed for the first time that they found somebody who can help them hmm. be functional. You know, it's not just a medical problem, but we are all about function. We are all about meaningful tasks. We are all about activities of daily living, activities of nightly living. We are all about sport and exercise and education so that people know what's going on with them, that we can really promote them to be their best and to be who they want to be and to do what they want to do. Oh, Holly, that's so lovely. Thank you so much for your time. Um, as I say with most episodes, you know, 45 minutes to an hour is never enough to talk about everything. Um, but that's why, again, I think talking about the resources that are available and the fact that, you know, you, you have a, a course specifically designed for this area. How, how many days is the course? Is it just one day? 
No, it's actually three days. Three days. But I was going to say, are, one day wouldn't be enough. No. Um, and yet, uh, what happens is that uh, we have the ability to make it so that it could be a day, could be a day and a half, could be yeah. two days, could be three days. Um, and the same thing with Heather's course and Sandy's course. Um, and that the uh, Herman and Wallace, even though I'm no longer uh, affiliated with them, um, Herman and Wallace has a wonderful transgender course oh, where they yeah. have a person, a physical therapist who is not only doing work out in um, at the, I, I believe, the Cleveland Clinic um, or maybe the Mayo Clinic. Uh, she's been working with transgender, but also she's doing research. So I would highly recommend that people look at Herman and Wallace courses um, and Sandy Gallagher, um, Heather's courses and Heather Reich's courses and uh, other courses that are being offered throughout the Europe and um, South America. Thank you. That was going to be my last question would be a surrounding research, seeing as I love research and what there is out there with regards to um, physiotherapy and help within transgender community, especially surgeries. Um, do you know of any other specific names if people want to look into it a little bit more? Um, well, just at this point, not very many. Yeah. What I can do is that I can send you the articles that involve physical therapy with this um, population, but um, uh, there is really, it's just in the beginning stages. Yeah. So if anybody's wanting to start a PhD, now would be yes. a good time. <laughs> oh my goodness, absolutely. It really is. It's yeah. and, and not only for the just a transgender, but yeah. also for the rest of the populations um, that um, are um, not being treated as well as they could be. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you for your knowledge. Thank you for your brilliance and your um, enthusiasm for really bringing so many different issues to light and particularly this one. 